0: the 15-year exemption rules. It's the most powerful concession, allows you to wipe the capital gain away, potentially put money into superannuation. It's also the most complex with the most nuanced requirements, particularly this in connection with the retirement requirement. You're listening
1: to Australia's podcast for accountants. Tax Talks, the podcast to grow your firm. Welcome to episode 263 of Tech Talks. This is Heidi Robson and thank you to CLASS for sponsoring this episode. The 15-year exemption is a powerful concession if you are over 55 at the time of sale and you meet the basic conditions. If the sale happens in connection with your retirement, this is what it says, but you might be able to use the 15-year exemption even if you don't retire. As Andrew Henshaw of Velocity Legal in Sydney will tell you in this episode.
0: The fifteen year exemption is a complete exemption, so it's not capped. It's sort of similar to the main residence exemption. You could make a you know a fifty million dollar capital gain and uh completely exempted under under the 15 year exemption, just like the main residence exemption. So it can cost a lot to the revenue. It could be a very powerful exemption because there's no limit to the amount that can be disregarded, unlike things like the, the 50% active asset reduction or, or other monetary capped exemptions.
1: Yes. And the big bottleneck, of course, are the tests. And I can imagine with this 15-year exemption, a lot of people will come through the turnover test, yeah. the net asset value test. And I'm thinking cars. of farms. I can imagine a mm. lot of farms come out of this completely capital gains tax-free and they get in, into it through the small business turnover test mm. and then come out completely tax-free through the 15-year exemption.
0: Yeah, exactly right. So you obviously need to meet one of either the 2 million turnover test or 6 million net asset value test. And if we're talking about those really large capital gains, they would be under the $2 million turnover test with things like farms or small interests in um, businesses, you know, shares or things like that under the old rules. So yeah, you're quite right.
1: And with a farm, for example, where most of the value is really sitting in the land. So you don't destroy your asset as such if you drive down the turnover for two or three years so you fit through the small business turnover test whereas of course in a, in a normal business if you artificially drove down your turnover to fit through the door of course you would basically be destroying the asset you're trying to sell so you would basically be shooting yourself in the foot but with the farm or other land-rich businesses it, it doesn't really matter so much if you drive down the turnover for a few years.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. I've an- anecdotally heard of those stories where if someone's just over the, the threshold, they, they may be, you know, desirous of uh, essentially driving down the turnover so they can qualify. You obviously got sort of uh, avoidance issues to deal with there, but yes. um, uh, yeah, I've, I have heard of it happening.
1: And that is probably very difficult to prove. You know, when turnover is oh, going down, it's difficult yeah. to prove. Why did you cut your herd in half? You know, I mean, reduce the number of, of mm. your cattle count by 50%. I'm sure there are many reasons to justify that.
0: what we're talking about here is the application of the 15-year exemption and particularly the application of the 15-year exemption in the context of more internal restructure type arrangements. So essentially, we've got two criteria to get into the 15-year exemption. One is 15 years. and That requires that the asset is held for 15 years where you've got companies and trust, you may have to have a significant individual for 15 years as well. These tests are more or less straightforward to work out. It's fairly obvious whether you've owned an asset for 15 years or not. There are a few complexities in, in significant individual tests and things like that. But the important point to note is you got to make sure you have 15 years. Otherwise, you don't even need to talk about this. And if you've had internal restructures previously, you might have gone from a sole trader to a company. Those things could technically have broken the link for the 15 years. So it's not enough to run a business as a sole trader for 10 years and then run, run it through a company for six. You need to have 15 years with the entity, which is quite an important point and sometimes can be overlooked. The only real exemption to that is one of the newer restructure rollovers called the small business restructure rollover. That actually allows you to look through restructures for the purposes of applying the 15-year exemption. So in other words, you ran a business as a sole trader for 13 years and then two years ago you restructured using that exemption, you might still have 15 years. First criteria, 15 years Relatively um, straightforward most of the time. The second one that's a lot more complex is the, is the in connection with retirement requirement. So in the case of an individual, they will have a requirement that the CGT event, usually entering into a contract or making a transfer, the CGT event needs to be in connection with their retirement And where you have a company or a trust that's making the capital gain, the requirement's slightly different. It's that a significant individual of that entity, where you have a company or trust making the capital gain, the requirement is that the CGT event for the company or trust is in connection with the retirement of a significant individual. So essentially, someone with a bit of a stake in the the company or trust. So in either scenario, we need to point to someone that this CGT event is in connection with their retirement.
1: I think I can imagine that at times, the small business CGT concessions actually come as a great surprise. You know, granddad ran his company for 20 years, then closed down the business, but held on to the business premises. And now 20 years later, sets the business premises. And then it probably comes as a very pleasant surprise that the small business CGT concessions will still kick in because it, it was an active asset for at least seven and a half years of the year, 15 years, et cetera. So that would come as a, pleasant surprise but the 15-year exemption will not apply because now the sale of this asset is no longer in connection with retirement so in these scenarios when granddad sells the shop 20 years later then you will need to go to the other small business cgt concessions but the 15-year exemption really only applies when you retire and you sell all in one wash up
0: yeah, well, there is a, it's, it's a bit more complex than, than strictly at the time. But yes, you're right that they, the, the concession sometimes will apply in situations where it won't be front of mind, where you've got property that was previously used in business operations. And if there's not enough of a connection with retirement, for example, a person may have retired a long time ago. Then you may have a real obstacle in using the fifteen-year exemption.
1: And so, just jumping back, you're you're right that for the fifteen-year exemption, you need the two conditions of having owned the asset for fifteen years and it has to be in connection with retirement. But just stepping back to the basic conditions, you know, where you need to pass the minimum net asset test or the small business turnover test and it needs to be an active asset, etc. If you use this example where grandpa retired 20 years ago and now sells the asset, how do we apply these minimum net asset value tests and small business turnover tests at what they still need to be applied just before the CGT event? So if granddad sold his business 20 years ago, how does the small business turnover test work? That basically doesn't apply anymore, correct? Then you only have the minimum net asset value test?
0: Yeah, correct. So you've either got to meet one or the other. And if you're not currently running a business, then you can't use the small business entity $2 million turnover test. You would have to rely on the $6 million net asset value test. The alternative, which is slightly trickier, is you could start some other business that has completely no relation to that existing asset. So, in other words, um, you could own a factory and you could become a sole trader, um, running any sort of business that has no relation, and that that couldn't be enough to call, that could be enough to qualify as well.
1: Ah oh, yes of course this is the back door that many people used where they bought a little shop somewhere just to qualify as a small business and then pushed big mm. assets through yes yep. but that only really works if the assets aren't sitting in a company correct because they closed the door for assets that are sitting in yeah, a company. Yeah
0: it's stricter now if it's shares or units but um but for Yeah well, the property advan- the property example still works yeah
1: Okay, but I hand it over back to you. So it has to be in connection with retirement. Have you seen a lot of court cases around that? I think there have been two or three, but I'm not sure there really have been that many.
0: Well, that's a really good question. So there's been a number of AAT and federal court cases that have applied various aspects of the concessions. There's, a, there's actually no cases, no AAT or federal court cases on the in connection with retirement point. Whatsoever. Okay. So the phrase in connection with retirement isn't defined in the legislation, and despite this concession being the most valuable one, there's surprisingly actually no case law um, telling us what is in, what is out. There's, there's none of that. The explanatory memorandum, so the you know the information that comes with the bill that explains the purpose of the legislation. It doesn't provide any further real guidance either so we're really less left with not much and we do have some guidance from the ato in the form of fact sheets and examples and a little bit regarding private binding rulings as well and that's that's really the best that that we have at the moment so The main one and probably the one you referred to, Heidi, is there's an ATO uh, website regarding the small business 15-year exemption and what it says is whether or not something's in connection with someone's retirement depends on the particular circumstances of the case, but that there needs to be at least one of the following. So either significant reduction in the number of hours they work or a significant change in the nature of their activities. And the, the website goes on to give some examples about situations where lots has changed and situations where nothing's changed. And, you know, sort of in the normal kind of way the ATO gives examples, you've got very clear ones either side of things that qualify and things that don't, but don't really have ones towards the middle where it may be more gray. The other two points to note, From the ATO, is that they confirm in that guide that the CGT event can be in connection with their retirement, even if it occurs sometime before their retirement. So it doesn't strictly have to be at that time. And also that retirement doesn't mean a permanent and everlasting exit from the workforce. So acknowledge that you can do other things it's not like you can never work again type thing
1: so it's probably best if you claim this exemption to take it easy for a year travel around australia keep your head low and then a couple of years later you can think about what else you want to do with
0: yeah yeah it makes it life. clear that that you do need to have a bit of a demarcation and and and, and when you're selling a business to a third party, it's usually pretty straightforward to know whether someone's retiring or not. You know, they're selling to some unrelated person and they don't want to be involved anymore and they've they been working so hard for so long and they want to take a break. And, uh, you know, it might not be forever, but um, it's usually pretty clear. Sometimes it's a bit more complicated when there's contractual requirements for the person to stay on in the business for... Some period of time.
1: And you would usually have that with service businesses like accounting practices where you need the previous principal to stay on for a handover. So the recommendation is basically then start the handover before the actual sale. Don't work on the handover afterwards.
0: Yeah, well, I mean, the, the ATO do do recognize that there are the sort of commercial realities, I guess. But the point being, it can't just be business as usual after the sale. You can't just be there full-time forever. It's got to be pretty clear that it's just a transitional thing, six months, 12 months. It, it's got to be a finite thing that can't it can't run on forever. So, so external sale, usually pretty clear. Sometimes when you've got earnouts and um, requirements to stay on, it's a bit more gray. But most of the time, it's pretty clear. But but what about internal restructures, particularly those done for state planning type reasons? Um, it may be either a restructure where it's still owned essentially by the same person, or it could be a transfer to a self-managed super fund, or it could be a, a transfer to children. I'm talking about those sort of those sort of transactions where. It's not as clear, it may not be as clear cut if the person's actually retiring or not.
1: And so when you basically just claim the small business CGT concession as part of a restructure and you continue as usual just in a different legal entity, then you probably can't get the 15-year exemptions as a general rule.
0: Yeah, as a general rule, if, if it's just going to be business as usual after doing the restructure, then that's not going to be enough to say, well, generally that that's not going to be enough to say that it's in connection with retirement. So you need some sort of, uh, you know, retirement plan or phase down um, plan or controls transitioning to children. It needs to be something there. Or it could be that they, you know, cut their hours back and some key staff step up. But you have to have something. Yeah, you're quite right. So, one private ruling that I came across recently, a bit similar to the example you gave earlier. So, I've got company A holds a business property and parents owned the shares in company A and that property was used in connection with a business run by company B, again owned by the parents. So, we've got company A with the property and company B with the business. Now, in this ruling some years ago, the parents sold their shares in company B and they sold it to a structure controlled by their, their children. Now, it's not clear on the on the facts in the private binding ruling, but I imagine they claimed the 15-year exemption at that point in time saying, well, that's in connection with their retirement. The ruling goes on to say that, well, after that sale happened, the um, the taxpayers, they continue to be involved, but they, they wound back their involvement over a number of years. What they're doing now is... They're proposing to, to transfer the commercial property to the children and specifically a sale from company A to a discretionary trust. Mm. But essentially we had business being sold previously and now the property being sold.
1: And because they are selling the shares, they would still get the 50% CGT discount?
0: In this example, they were proposing to sell the commercial property from the company.
1: So in that case, there would be no discount at all, hence yep. their keen interest in getting the 15-year exemption.
0: No discount at all. And then the funds would also be trapped in the company and have to be declared as a dividend on the way on the way up. So so stakes are pretty high. The ATO said that essentially that Company A couldn't claim the, the 15-year exemption on the sale. And that's because the parents had essentially already retired and so therefore this sale wasn't in connection with their retirement. You know, if you've already retired then and you do a transaction, well, how, how is that in connection with your retirement? That's the point the ATO was making in this, in this pretty recent ruling from February 2020.
1: And the problem is that they claimed the 15 year exemption before. If they had sold it and didn't claim the 15 year exemption, then it probably would have been easier to argue that they didn't retire. But because they had claimed the 15 year exemption for company B. Yes then, of course, it's very difficult to then retire yeah. again. And I can imagine that the property was worth more than the business. So, with hindsight, it would have been much better to wait and claim the 15-year exemption on the property than on the business.
0: The thing we don't know is the amount of time between the two transactions. I mean, if, I, if that time period was very short, as in six months, I, I would say that they, they should qualify for both. But it, it might have been several years and and with the benefit of hindsight what they could have done is just do both transfers at the same time and retire at that point and and yes if the property was worth more then you'd maybe go for that one over the over the shares but but if you can get both then do them at the same time so so even though i guess that ruling just suggests like even though the the ato do have a bit of flexibility on timing you do have to there has to be some sort of retirement in connection with that CGT event, not something else. So it does seem a bit harsh, but small business concessions are very technical rules and if you don't meet the requirement, you don't meet the requirement.
1: But they would still have got other small business CGT concessions, correct? They would still have got the... um additional 50% active asset discount and they might have got the retirement exemption even though they weren't retiring because for the retirement exemption you actually don't need to retire. Yeah. So they would have still got those.
0: Yeah, yeah. They, 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 if they had those available to them, and remember that the retirement exemption is a lifetime cap, so it could have been used previously potentially. But if they did have those available, then you would think that they'd use the retirement exemption as much as possible to be able to actually take the money out of the company without being a dividend as well. So, yeah, it's it's not saying I'm not saying that 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 all hope is lost, but I imagine there was good reasons why the 15 year exemption would have been the best, um, which it, because it usually is.
1: You can't go better than zero.
0: Can't go better than zero, and also it does allow you to put very large amounts of money into superannuation as well.
1: Actually, yeah. Can we just quickly clarify that? Yep. How much money can you put into super from the 15-year exemption?
0: So from the 15-year exemption, it's you can put in the amount of ca- the capital gain that's disregarded up to a certain cap. That cap is indexed each year and keeps actually rising. At the moment, it's just a little bit over $1.5 million. So for example, if you claim the 15-year exemption and make a capital gain of $2 million, then you can choose, subject to meeting the other conditions of superannuation, like the work test potentially, to put in $1.5 million into superannuation and that's not a concessional contribution or a non-concessional contribution and it's not restricted in any other way of being allowed into super fund.
1: Yes, so that means even if you've already maxed out your – TBA, you can still push another one and a half million in. It just means you can't move it into pension.
0: Yeah, you'll still have the transfer balance cap points around the taxation of that money. But even at 15%, you're a long way better off than higher rates of personal tax.
1: So you can contribute the $1.5 million even if you've maxed out your TSB, your total superannuation balance. You yes. can still get the $1.5 million in. But then, of course, whether you can then move that money into pension, then, of course, will depend on your TBA and whether you've already maxed out your $1.6 million.
0: Yep. It's a, it's, it's a very powerful, despite those changes to superannuation, it still remains a really powerful way of actually moving money into a pretty good tax environment it may not be completely tax-free, but it's still very good.
1: But so it means you basically can get up to $3.1 million into super and then you sell your house, you can put mm. another $300,000. Yeah,
0: as a downsizer contribution Exactly, as well. a downsizer yeah.
1: contribution. So 300000 per person. So for a couple, 600000 that already takes you to $3.7 million. And then I think you have a cap from the retirement exemption. It's oh, it's sure. the
0: same cap. It's the same I cap see. under, yeah, the retirement exemption and the 15-year okay. exemption, you like the same cap
1: good so that basically means you get up to 3.7 million in super
0: yeah you can get get pretty high high amounts um, using this it's 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 a very powerful technique when you when you can do it it's a good segue into the second ruling that i was going to talk about which is quite a lot different to the first this ruling talks about contributing property into superannuation now as we've just gone through with superannuation, you've got your normal contribution limits. A super fund could buy an asset, but you've got this other powerful way of being able to pump value into your super fund through transferring property directly to a super fund. And I have to be a self-managed super fund, of course. So to take a simple example, if I own a factory in my own name, it's business real property, I decide... I don't want that property in my own name. I want to actually move it into my self-managed super fund. Super fund could pay cash for it, but other than using the pretty small non-concessional contribution uh, caps, the other way of doing it is using the small business CGT concessions.
1: That's a good idea to actually use the small business CGT concessions to get more money into super.
0: Yes. So it's usually thought of as... Let's say I run a business, I sell the business for $1.5 million, I claim the 15-year exemption, I get $1.5 million of cash, and then I put $1.5 million of cash into superannuation. That's how a lot of the times it would work. But it doesn't necessarily need to work that way. And you can actually move something of value other than cash to self-managed super funds so long as you meet all the cis regulations like business real property essentially.
1: So you can use the small business CGT concessions to make a substantial in-specie contribution into super.
0: Absolutely. Yep. That's exactly where I'm going. So you can make it as an in-specie contribution. The interesting point which I'm going to explore is if I make a in if I want to make an in-specie contribution of a property to superannuation, the only way I can do that under the law is if I can use the CGT cap. So, as in in the 15-year exemption, let's say. I'm entitled to use the 15-year exemption as a result of transferring the property to superannuation. So, the thing that is the transfer is the thing that allows me to do the transfer. It's a bit like a chicken and egg type situation where you don't have a clear you know, sale for cash and then cash coming in and then putting that into superannuation. You've got everything happening all at once. And and based on the legislation alone, it's not entirely clear that that's actually permitted or not under the rules. And based on the ATOs, some private running rulings from the ATO, it looks like they have different views as applying the retirement exemption, so the $500,000, as compared to the 15-year exemption. And essentially what the ATO's position looks to be through looking through private binding rulings is that you can do this strategy for the 15-year exemption, but you can't do it for the retirement exemption.
1: OK, and why?
0: That's not clear. I have my views about how the wording of the legislation is slightly different. Essentially, the 15-year exemption sort of operates without making a choice to use the 15-year exemption because if you, if you can use the 15-year exemption, you don't even need to think about any of the other small business concessions. But the other concessions like the retirement exemption, they're a choice that you have to make and you could apply different ones depending on your personal preference. So, that's based on private binding rulings where people have ask, can I use the 15 year exemption to do this simultaneous contribution? Can I use the retirement exemption to do this simultaneous contribution? So this really interesting ruling goes through two different requirements. First, it talks about this simultaneous contribution point, but it also talks about the in connection with the retirement point, which remember that's required to use the 15 year exemption. So this ruling holds that a person can apply the 15 year exemption in relation to an in specie contribution into their self managed super fund now that's now that's not particularly groundbreaking but it does note that in the current finance so it says in the current financial year the person has not been employed or self employed for gain or reward and that they do not see that they will ever be employed for gain or reward they say that well moving this property into superannuation Will allow me to live off the proceeds through the rent achieved on the property. So they essentially already have retired because they're not working now and they have no intentions to work. So, despite the fact that, well, there's really no retirement that's going on here, this person is already retired. The ATO said in this ruling, well, that's actually in connection with your retirement. You may be wondering why that would be the case, given that they. Are not working, so how could it be in connection with their retirement? In the ruling, they say that because it's going to a super fund, super funds are for retirement, you know, that's inherent in, 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 in super funds, they, they, they their vehicle is for retirement. Because it's going to a super fund, it's inherently connected to retirement, it's essentially what they're saying. They say that the provisions of the 15-year exemption don't define what is meant by the phrase in connection with retirement. They don't give any... And notes that the the legislation doesn't give any indication of the degree of um, retirement needed or the degree of connection. And then it says that it could be argued that the phrase in connection with your retirement means that the capital gain arising from the disposal of active assets is used to provide funds for a person's retirement rather than to precipitate retirement. In other words, the funds are gonna be for their retirement and the CGT event is not precipitating retirement.
1: So that means in the previous case we discussed all the um, parents would have had to do is do an in-specie contribution or put the shares into the super fund or sell the asset to the super fund they don't even have to sell the asset to the super fund they can sell the asset to whoever they want the children and then they put the proceeds into the super fund and that alone will have them qualify as in connection with retirement
0: you're absolutely right and taking that taking that argument to its logical conclusion that therefore means that in the case of that first Case study and private binding ruling that we went through, if parents via their company received the money and the money ultimately went to their super fund, this line of reasoning would say that well, it was in connection with their retirement because the sale and the money ultimately went to super, which but is a very is different interpretation. Yeah, well, it's a very very different interpretation than anything that's previously been discussed either on the ATO's website or by practitioners um, and. This was only identified by someone in my team fairly recently through a bit of a comprehensive analysis of, of recent private binding rulings.
1: Yeah. But this is huge, Andrew, because it means that basically anybody can qualify for the 15-year exemption. All they have to do is put the capital gain into, into super.
0: Yeah, so long as they're over 55. um, Yes. Of course, they have to be over 55. But um, yes. yes, uh, Anybody
1: over 55 can basically qualify for the 15-year exemption by putting the money into super.
0: Yeah, absolutely. It says in black and white in this private binding ruling, it can be argued that the phrase means that the capital gain arising from the disposal of active assets is used to provide funds for the person's retirement. Then it says the words in the explanatory memorandum support this interpretation. So it's, it's in black and white in the in the ruling register. Now, of course, it's a private binding ruling, and there's a number of these as well. It's not just one. But obviously, a private binding ruling only has the weight of law in respect of the taxpayer who's actually applied for it, and, of course, only if the facts are actually correctly disclosed. So,
1: But they would we- have to decide consistently in private rulings. They couldn't, if the effects are fairly similar... They couldn't say yes to one and no to the other. Well,
0: you'd think not, but, but there has been cases in other areas where the ATO actually has changed their view on the, on the application of a particular provision. So let's say next year that the ATO reanalyzes that and says, actually, that's not allowed, and you've got someone who hasn't applied for a private binding ruling, and they've put all this money into their super fund, which they otherwise are unable to do, the ato is within its power to say well that's all you weren't entitled to the 15 year exemption and those contributions into superannuation have breached the non concessional contribution rules I access um, now. and you're in you're in a pretty bad space and it's not like you have a um, a public ruling to back you up or something else all you've got is a private binding ruling so the point that it um, emphasizes that is 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 if you're in this situation
1: get a ruling uh,
0: It's, yeah, strongly, strongly recommended to get a private binding ruling. Hopefully, through this discussion, I've added a bit of light to the 15-year exemption rules. It's the most powerful concession. It uh, allows you to wipe the capital gain away, potentially put money into superannuation, It's also the most complex with the most nuanced requirements, particularly this, in connection with the retirement requirement. And through seeing some of the recent private binding rulings, you can see some of the tricks and traps and dangers of actually applying those words because they are so, so vague. So we've seen that if you're doing an internal restructure, you need to make sure that Things are actually changing, so so long as that so that there actually is a retirement, and also this potential opportunity regarding superannuation, either transferring assets to super or actually contributing proceeds to super, and that might of itself actually qualify you for the in connection with the retirement point. And finally, it shows really the importance of getting a ruling whenever you're in these tricky, complex situations.
1: Come back. So, you might be able to claim the 15 year exemption even if you don't retire, as long as you pass the basic conditions, you're over 55, and you put the capital gain into super. But get a private ruling to be on the safe side on this. In the next episode, episode 264, Emily Pritchard of Axis will talk about common trust deed issues. Until then, thank you for listening and thank you to class for their support. Bye for now and see you in the next episode.